Okay, if you would, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Today we come to the final passage in our study of Paul's letter to the Colossian church. We have been studying this letter now for many months. Paul wrote this letter because this church was facing significant pressure from false teachers whose heretical teaching promised a deeper spiritual life through this pursuit of a secret knowledge. These false teachers were eroding the faith that these believers had in Christ. So Paul, although he did not plant this church, and though he had never visited this church, Paul loves this church through the man that he did lead to Christ, Epaphras, who planted this church and is pastoring this church. He hears about what is going on in this church, and so he writes to them, and he wisely and powerfully reminds them of what Jesus has done for them. And I want you to see that in verse 13 of of chapter 1. Paul reminds them that Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transported us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul reminds them that they have been transformed by Christ. And then he goes on to tell them all all the the promises they have beginning in verse 3 of chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so Paul goes on to say this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord." fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That is Paul wanting to remind them and you this morning of all that God has done for you, all that God is doing for you. And most importantly, Paul ends this section in in helping and reminding these believers of all who God is by reminding them of Christ, the preeminence of Christ in verse 15 of chapter 1. He... This, listen, brothers and sisters, this is a hymn. This is a, a hymn. This is a doxology. This is a, a praise. This is a reminder. This is something that should be in front of you 
if not daily, weekly, of who Christ is and all that He has done. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or elections. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the church, the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, meaning us, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Brothers and sisters, Paul is putting on display the glorious view of who Jesus is. And that fullness of life is found nowhere else but in Christ. He's not writing here to an individual believer, but to a church that he wants to know and he wants to experience Christ together. He wants these believers to hear again and again that, that God is with them and that God is for them and that grace is available to them as they gather together to hear God speak, as they fellowship around the truth of God's Word. As we gather together this morning to fellowship around the truth of God's Word, as we're gathered together to hear God speak to us, so much grace abounds when we are together. What could possibly be better than gathering each Sunday to fix our collective gaze upon Jesus Christ? What could be better than to gather each week to hear unassailable truth about God's love for us? What could be better than being reminded each week that you are united to Christ and you have your identity, not in your gender, not in your job, not in your wealth, not in anything but Christ and Christ alone. Oh, brothers and sisters, what could be, re be better than to be reminded each week that you are no longer under the judgment of Christ? But now you've been granted eternal life with Christ. What could be better? And as Paul closes this letter, he finishes with more than just a simple goodbye, but with a profound reminder of God's transforming grace, the transforming grace of God at work in the lives of everyone, including this local church and this local church. These this letter ends, and as most letters do, they end with salutations, but there is more to this letter than a simple goodbye. So read with me Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. There is much debate on how to say the very first name that I'm about to say, and so um, I've listened to some of the best theologians preach this this name, and then Devin corrected me this morning, and so I, he wants me to say it with more of a Jewish accent, a tchikikis, um, <laughs> but we will say it, I 
We will say it the way I want to say it this morning. <laughs> Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, and I love this, and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Last year, Marilyn and I took a trip with Chris and Jean Mays to Cooperstown, New York, to the Baseball Hall of Fame. I love baseball. And it was always a dream of mine to not only go to the Hall of Fame, but to be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you weren't with me in my high school years. You don't know how good I was. So as we made our way through the hall, I reminisced. I went back in time. I imagined being in these players' shoes, but obviously the reality was clear. They were exceptionally gifted men with extraordinary talents beyond the average person. And it was not a world meant for me or one I knew I could reach. Although, as uh, a young boy going to Senators games, I think I could have made it into the Hall of Fame winning the kid who could eat the most hot dogs at a baseball game contest. But that would be the closest I would ever get to the Hall of Fame. We had an amazing time there, and it was, it was just interesting to see how gifted these men were and the impact they made upon the world of baseball. We could mistakenly read this list here in Colossians 4 of ancient believers and think of them as Hall of Famers, but the opposite would be true. Paul very much intends for us to see that their lives, their inspired lives, are just ordinary lives. These are ordinary believers, ordinary men and women, transformed by grace, yes, but ordinary men and women like us. 
Christ's transforming power, brothers and sisters, do, it does not make spiritual superstars. It just makes spiritual servants. Servants who are to be living illustrations of his love and his mercy and his kindness and his grace. Paul wants us to see in this passage ordinary men and women like us who gave their lives for Christ and his kingdom willingly and sacrificially because something extraordinary had happened to them. They came face to face with Jesus Christ and his transforming grace. And now they are different. They have different desires. They have different values and different priorities. This passage is their legacy. And we can appropriately ask, what will our legacy be now that we have been transformed by Christ? What will our legacy be? This is my proposition this morning. (coughs) Having been transformed by Christ... How you live will determine if you leave a legacy of faithfulness or a legacy of failure. How, having been transformed by Christ, how you live will determine if you leave a legacy of faithfulness or a legacy of failure. Paul finishes his letter describing those who were faithful and one who is not. Their legacies are meant by God to inspire us, to encourage us, to sustain us, to put faith in us, and to warn us. Colossians ends with a powerful portrait of what our lives are to be, having been transformed by Christ. Three points this morning. The first one that he shows us in this portrait is this. Transforming grace wonderfully illustrated. He wants us to see transforming grace wonderfully illustrated in the lives of these believers. The people that Paul lists in this verse are living illustrations of the entirety of his letter. All that Paul wrote in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and most of chapter 4, these folks are the living illustration of what Paul was writing, of what Paul was commanding, the imperatives, the indicatives of what Christ had done. These men and women are living illustrations. They are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. They have been and are being filled with a knowledge of his will, as we read in chapter 1. They have spiritual understanding and wisdom. They, their lives are fully pleasing to him. They are bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in their knowledge of God, and they live immersed in the grace of God. And today, as he does each Sunday, God is speaking to us through the preaching of his word. And he is reminding us, he is reminding you, that you as well are immersed in the grace of God and are capable of being living illustrations of that grace. 
Paul honors those who have been transformed by grace and the wonderful illustrations their lives have become. Look with me first in verse 8. I have sent him, speaking of Tychicus, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Who is Onesimus? Onesimus is the slave that we read about in Paul's letter to Philemon. Philemon is a member of the Colossian church. And when Paul wrote his letter to Colossae, to this church, he also wrote the letter to Philemon. And when Tychicus came, he brought both letters and most likely the letter to Ephesus, to the Ephesian church as well. And Onesimus is the slave that Paul writes of that was Philemon's slave, Philemon, a member of the Colossian church. And Onesimus runs away. And he makes his way providentially to Rome. And in Rome, he meets this man, this man named Paul, who is in prison. And Paul leads Onesimus to faith in Christ. And Onesimus becomes one of Paul's fellow workers. He becomes one of Paul's fellow servants. He becomes a friend to Paul. And Onesimus moves from just being a slave of Philemon to being a slave of Christ. What an amazing providence that Onesimus would make his way there. And he becomes an integral part of Paul's team. And look how grace transformed this runaway slave. Paul talks of him as a faithful and beloved brother. Now, understanding that slaves in that day and age were not equal to those who they were enslaved to. They were not equal in society. They were at the bottom of society. And so for Paul to write in this letter to the Colossian church, Onesimus is our faithful and beloved brother. Listen, the Colossian church would know that Onesimus had left Philemon. The Colossian church would not be unaware that Philemon had lost his slave. And now... For Onesimus to show up on scene with Tychicus, bearing letters from Paul. What what a statement that makes of the transforming grace of God in the life of this man. And as you move on, if you read the letter of Paul's to Philemon, and you see how Paul tells Philemon, consider Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a brother. And Paul says here, listen, Philemon is one of you. This is an amazing transformation wrought by God's powerful grace. 
Onesimus is saved. He's a faithful, beloved brother. He's one of them. He's no longer viewed as a slave, but he's viewed as one who is in Christ's family. Verses 8 through 16 in Philemon, according, accordingly, Paul writes, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. He was useless to Philemon because he was gone. He was no longer there. But now he is indeed useful to you because I sent him back. And he's useful to me because he represents all that's been happening in Rome. I am sending him back to you. And here's Paul says, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but, by, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Brothers and sisters, the transforming grace of God is wonderfully illustrated in the life of Onesimus. Secondly, it's wonderfully illustrated in the life of Aristarchus and Mark and Justice. These are all men, as you read about here in verse 10, are Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured." I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you for, and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now, what, what is this? What am I saying here? In the same room with Paul, in the same ministry team with Paul, you've got Aristarchus, you've got J John Mark, who is Mark, you've got Justice, you've got three men of the circumcision standing right beside Luke, and Epaphras, and Demas, Greeks, Gentiles. Now think about that. Prior to the crucifixion of Christ, prior to Acts and the coming of the Holy Spirit, prior to the transforming grace of God in the lives of individuals, Jew and Gentile hated one another. There was a dividing wall, as Paul writes in Ephesians, between them. They wanted nothing to do with one another. And now, because of the transforming grace of God, six men standing in a room, half of them Jews, half of them Gentiles, all laboring together for the gospel, all laboring together for the honor and glory of Christ. 
Oh, fierce opponents no more. Brothers in Christ. Wonderfully being illustrated here. And then, specifically, Mark. Or he, as he was known as John Mark. The first we learn of Mark, known as John Mark, is in Acts 15, 36, where Paul and Barnabas are ready to go on some more missionary journeys. But Paul says, no, I do not want to take Mark along because he deserted me in the past. And so that's where we read about this terrible split between Paul and Barnabas. And so Barnabas, who is Mark's cousin, takes Mark and goes off with him to do ministry. And Paul takes Silas with him and goes off to do ministry. And Mark, who is this young man, this happened 12 years earlier from the writing of this letter. Mark, who had deserted Paul, is now in Paul's company. Mark, who is the author of one of the four Gospels. Mark, who Paul now writes, Mark, the cousin of Artemis, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. What a powerful picture of the restoring and transforming grace of God in the life of this man. And Paul even goes on in his last and dying letter, the very last letter he wrote in 2 Timothy. He writes in chapter 4, verse 11 of Mark. He says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in my ministry. Here is a man that Paul wanted nothing to do with 12 years earlier. And now Paul, in his final days, in his imprisonment, he wants Mark. He wants Mark. Brothers and sisters, this is God's transforming grace, wonderfully illustrated. The transforming grace and power of Christ has changed these lives, and it has changed our lives as well. Point two, the portrait also shows faithful servants who give all for Christ. Paul has a long list of men and women who have truly found the pearl of great price and willingly sold all they have for the kingdom of God. There is no treasure in their eyes that surpasses knowing Christ. No treasure. There is no earthly pleasure that will exceed each individual hearing from Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. Tychicus has become one of Paul's most trusted friends and co-workers. He was one of the men that was arrested in Ephesus along with Gaius when the riots occurred. He was with Paul. He has been with Paul throughout his ministry. And Paul so trusts this man, he tells him he is a beloved brother, a dear brother, and a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. He says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now listen, when Paul wrote this, when, when, the, when the Colossian church 
heard this letter read, they were not aware. They did not quite understand that this was sacred scripture they were hearing. But it was inspired by God. And so what Tychicus explains to them, what he helps them understand, is who God is. Who preeminent Christ is. What he has done for them. That's how trustworthy this man has become. This is a faithful servant. This is a man who sold out all for Christ, followed Paul from imprisonment and riots and and difficult times. And this man has become a faithful servant who has given all for Christ. He's also given the responsibility, think about this, of bringing back Onesimus and mediating the situation between Onesimus and Philemon. Sure, Paul's letter was there to Philemon and surely had a great impact on Philemon. But oh, how much better to have Tychicus there sitting next to Onesimus, looking at Philemon and saying, Philemon, he's one of us. He's a beloved brother. What a faithful servant who's given all for Christ this man is. And Luke as well. Luke is called the beloved physician. Look, look in Luke in verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician greets you. Luke is called the beloved physician, the beloved physician by Paul, whom I suspect really means my beloved physician. My beloved physician. Let me tell you why I think Paul would consider him my beloved physician. In 2 Corinthians 11.24, Paul writes, Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Paul needed a physician. And Luke was with him almost every step of the way. Someone had to care for Paul through all his physical trauma But Luke was more than a doctor. He was his friend. He was his faithful companion in gospel ministry. He served Paul because it served Christ. I have a living example of a beloved physician. We have one among us named Chris Mays. He is our 
beloved physician. He cares for many of us, and more importantly, he always displays Christ to us by making his life a sacrifice to gospel ministry. He serves on the leadership team. He leads a care group. He counsels those in need of wisdom and care. He serves widows, and he is generous in giving his time to see this church advance the gospel in our community. Gene and his wife, who is right there beside him, makes the same sacrifices. They are a couple who are faithful servants, who give all to Christ. They are living illustrations of what Paul is telling us here. And then thirdly, Epaphras. Epaphras is another of Paul's example of a faithful servant. In Colossians 1.7, Paul writes of Epaphras, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And then he goes on to say a little bit later in chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. And here he is. Here is a faithful servant who's giving all for Christ, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He is a man with a pastor's heart, a shepherd who loves his church and cares for them even when he is not with them. See how he prays to ensure that every believer in his church grows and matures in Christ and lives lives that are fully assured I want you to know that this is Devin and my greatest desire and goal as your pastors. We deeply desire to see each of you mature in Christ. We deeply desire to see each of you live every day fully assured of God's will, fully assured of His love, of His faithfulness, His promises, His forgiveness, His grace, His power, so that you might know Him more deeply and love Him more closely. Oh, brothers and sisters, these are faithful servants who give all for Christ. And they are examples to us that we need and must give all for Christ. But then there's one more. Luke, the beloved physician in verse 14, greets you as does Demas. In Philemon, Demas is called a fellow worker. Here in Colossians 4, he's just one who greets them. And there's already a change taking place. Because you see, at the end of Paul's life, Demas is no longer with Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes this. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Second Timothy 4.10 is a terrible commentary on Demas's legacy. All these others are a legacy of faithfulness to Christ. And here with Demas, we have a legacy of failure. He has been drawn back into the world. Oh, how deeply sad this is. It it appears that the cost of discipleship and sacrifice was too high for Demas. 
Now, how could, what perplexes me is how could Demas, who traveled and ministered with Paul, walk away? How could, how could he walk away from what, is, what appears to be the grace of God? There is no easy answer, but there is a clear warning in this passage. The world has a powerful pull to you and to me. You're not exempt. You're, you're not above doing what Demas did. There's a little bit of Demas in all of us. And every one of us in this room knows a Demas. Was Demas a believer? Only God knows. What I do know is at the very least, he walked away from the blessings of God simply because the world was more pleasurable the world was more enticing. The world was his greatest desire. Now, there are others Paul honors in this passage. He honors Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Back then, there were no church buildings. They met from house to house. She opens her home. He, he honors Aristarchus, who is a fellow prisoner who is suffering for the gospel. He is, as well, a faithful minister he honors Mark and Justice, who were fellow workers. Oh, there is a wonderful legacy Paul writes in this section. Legacies that gloriously point to Jesus Christ, which is really, it is our only goal, is the legacy that we leave going to point to Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, the final point, the first point being the transforming grace is wonderfully illustrated in this passage. The second point being that there are faithful servants who give all for Christ. And the third point being the faithful Christ who gives all to his servants. The faithful Christ who gives all to his servants. The final point is not about a fellow worker that Paul lists but about the one who makes being faithful servants possible, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul ends his letter with a familiar sentence that is seen in his other writings, and it is the very last words of this epistle. He says this, Grace be with you. Four words. Grace be with you. Life in Christ is all about grace. Grace that sent him from heaven. Grace that sent him to the cross to die for our sins. Grace that powerfully raised him from the dead. Grace that drew us to him. Grace that transformed our hearts to believe in him. Grace that forgives us. Grace that reconciles us to him. Grace that promises we are secure in him. Grace that sustains us until we die. Grace that brings us before the throne when we die. Grace that promises us eternal life. Grace that promises that we will see him face to face. That's what this is about the faithful Christ who gives all to his servants. And what does he give? He gives us grace. When Paul says, grace be with you, this is what he means. It's not just a goodbye. 
It's far more than a benediction. It's a promise of future grace, a reminder of present grace, a celebration of past grace, all because Christ has been faithful to us. There is no day, brothers and sisters. There is no hour. There is no minute that goes by where God's grace is not present and not working in your life. It's there. John Piper, oh, I love the way he phrases this. He said this, he said, this is what faith trusts in. The continuing arrivals of grace. The biblical role of past grace, especially the cross, is to guarantee the certainty of future grace. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, past grace, will, not, will he not freely give us all things with him, future grace? Oh, brothers and sisters, there is grace abounding right now, at this moment, through Christ, who is faithful. Grace he is giving to you. This is my application. Listen, the legacy we leave behind is dependent upon God's transforming grace. But we must be faithful in our obedience to His commands. The enduring and eternal and authoritative message of the gospel must continue to invade our lives each and every day. It has to invade our lives. And, and not just as a, as, a, as a phrase that we use, the gospel, but practically, pragmatically, in reality, it has to invade our lives in the things we value, the choices we make, the way we think, the place where we put our hopes, how we live and act each day. Do these things in our lives point to Christ or point away from Christ? We cannot be reluctant or passive believers unwilling to make the hard sacrifices of living for Christ. Paul, in this letter, writes to one man particularly, verse 17, and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Here is a man who was reluctant. Listen, there, I said before, there is a little bit of Demas in all of us. The world draws us, whether it's just rest and recreation and relaxation and the financial provisions that we have and the opportunities we have and the things we like to see and the pleasures that are before us, they're not bad things. I don't carry concern that this church struggles with the bad things, although I know we're all tempted in, in many ways. It's the good things that concern me most. It's the good things where we can elevate above our willingness to sacrifice and live for Christ. The good things of family. Listen, family is not the end all. Family is subservient to Christ. 
He said, I didn't come to bring you together, but to divide mother, father, brother, sister. Family's not the end all. It sounds noble. It sounds noble to put family above all, but it is not. It is a danger. It is a demis. Listen, the more you invest your family in Christ and in His church, that is the most loving thing you can do for your family, is to give them a legacy of Jesus Christ. Archippus is a reluctant disciple, unsure about giving all of his life to Christ. Maybe not like Demas, but he's reluctant. And Paul wants us to see in this. And, And this is a word to you, if this is who you are. Fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. And there's not one person in here who has not received a ministry from the Lord. A ministry of glorifying Christ because of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in you and has come, His primary purpose, to bring glory to God. You fulfill the ministry of living for Christ. Fulfill the ministry of serving for Christ. Who in this letter do you most identify with? Archippus? Tychicus, Epaphras, Luke, or Demas. We must want our legacy in Christ to be one that hears on that final day, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, God has promised you, brothers and sisters, a grace that can never be exhausted. Always available always present, always powerful. The Lord himself desires that you have a legacy that points back to his grace in your life and brings glory to him. Now, if your legacy was written today, what would it say? Oh, brothers and sisters, my prayer, my passion, and my commitment as your pastor is that you be like these ordinary saints that have a legacy of faithfulness in the book of Colossians. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross that we might know you and might live under the transforming grace that you give us in your Son. Lord, help every person here today to be faithful servants. Beloved brothers and sisters they are, help them to be faithful servants so that their legacy is well done, good and faithful servant. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.